Hello and welcome to the Introfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm editor Drew Cherry, joined by executive editor John Fiorillo. It's been a busy week in seafood news, but this week we're going to focus on one thing, and that is figures out on seafood sales at retail in the United States. Now, we had some numbers here that looked pretty bad capped off a really rough 2023. So according to Circana, uh, it's a market research firm, an analysis by 210 Analytics, we saw fresh seafood sales at retail in the U.S. fall 8.1% on a value basis, 5% on a volume basis, frozen seafood uh, even worse on on the, the value basis falling 10%. Um, 4% by by volume. Shelf stable as well, sunk 5% on volume, on and on and on and on. It was a miserable year for retail sales of seafood. But, but there are some signs that things may be looking up for 2024. And I think the entire industry is really, really hoping that there might be at least some relief on uh, consumer spending, uh, some relief on raw material inputs, and maybe some new emerging categories. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We'll be bringing on Anne-Marie Rorink. She's the president of 210 Analytics. But prior to that, um, John, I want to talk a little bit about some of these statistics that came out. And in particular, I want to talk about the shift in where U.S. consumers are buying their, uh, their refrigerated or chilled seafood. Now, typically, and it continues to be the, the case, um, most consumers go to a traditional retail store, traditional grocery, Safeway, Albertsons, HEB, uh, etc. Now, while that remains the largest chunk of where chilled seafood is purchased, it certainly didn't grow and it sunk pretty sharply. Meanwhile, what we have seen is this jump in discount grocery stores now, 7.1% of uh, seafood sales, uh, chilled seafood sales, were bought at discount grocers. And that's people like Grocery Outlet, people like Aldi. Now, if you look at Supercenter and mass retailers, and those are your Walmarts and your, your Targets, that's where we saw an even bigger jump. And this entire category of discount uh, Supercenters and club stores, they all point to a consumer that's looking for lower cost, um, looking for value in their seafood purchasing. It's unusual, and it opens up some interesting opportunities and challenges for seafood. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Of course, you know uh, the back the backstory. Of course, everybody knows we've been uh, whether Europe or the U.S. We've been under extreme inflationary pressure for. The better part of the last year, uh, maybe a little bit more, depending. But and you know, you filled in your grocery grocery bill, a grocery bill for me, which used to be oh, roughly a hundred a week. Uh, I it shot up to like a hundred and fifty at the height of of this um, inflation uh, or, or middle last year. Or so uh, whenever it was, but. I mean, that's shocking, you know, I mean, it, it, and people are on budgets, you know, um, you get your food budget shattered like that on top of everything else, 
you only have one choice in most cases. You you run for value. Where am I going to get the value? Well, you know, the, as you pointed out, Walmart in particular is known for its value. Maybe uh, maybe you just did a little shopping there, right, uh, in the past, and you just grabbed a few things, whatever it may be, middle you know, center of the store stuff. But what happened more more recently is people who did that said, well, why why should I go anywhere else? I mean, these guys are going to have the cheapest price for, you know, the ground beef I like and uh, blah, 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 blah. So uh, I think that's the phenomenon that is kind of fueling this. And I think for me, the interesting question is, you know, we um, we we have... We have two different experiences at retail uh, in this particular instance. We have the full seafood case where, you know, the guys who are really into it, the stores that are really into it are doing promotions and maybe they're they're cooking, you know, at, at dinner time to inspire shoppers to choose seafood. You know, there's there's a big show going on, so to speak, for lack of a better word. And then we have this other thing on the far end which is you know no fuss no muss everything's pre-packed in the chill case or frozen uh you want a filet of salmon or you want a portion of salmon it's there some of it's branded as you pointed out um some of it uh, maybe just carries the store brand in some cases but you just go and grab it so (laughs) It's to me. It's always been interesting uh, how you have that separation or that division, but I think as you're pointing out, this lower uh, lower end of the retail world, uh, you know, they are starting to really gather steam with seafood. It looks like, and you had some stats that showed it, and um, yeah, it's it's impressive, and yeah, I don't. I don't know where it all goes, but, you know, it's something that we we need to pay attention to, obviously. Yeah, I mean, think about that that, that figure. Um, I mentioned the Supercenter figure. So it went from 4.1% in 2019, pre-pandemic, but 4.1%. 2023, that's grown to 6.4%. All right, you think, eh, 2.3%. How big is that? Well, this is all of refrigerated seafood sales. We're talking about a significant figure. Just to just to interrupt for a second, uh, total fresh seafood sales for the last 52 weeks in the United States, ending December 31st. Just this is just fresh, 6.3 billion. So a few percent of that is a lot of money, right? I can't do the math in my head, but um, it's a lot of money. So, yeah, to your point. Yeah, and and I think the interesting thing about this shift is that, you know, seafood, it's premium priced. It hasn't been sort of the, the, the strategy to compete on price with other proteins. It hasn't been, hey, how do we, how do we get a, a race to some of these uh, cheaper discount areas to move, you know, lower, lower cost products and move it at higher volumes? That hasn't been the strategy. And when you've gone into, let's say, a Walmart or a Target uh, grocery section, um, it's it, it leaves a lot to be desired, or at least it has, as has a selection of seafood. I mean, just over the course of the, the past several years, if we think about Walmart's offerings, um, you know, not considered 
uh, a, a place you would go if you're looking for a clear provenance or necessarily the highest quality product. But um, but that's changed a lot. And this shift of bringing, of, of Walmart attracting more higher end shoppers in, that's fascinating. So Walmart overall, when they released their uh, their earnings in at the end of, of last year uh, for 2023, the biggest driver for them in sales was in their retail and the, uh, their grocery rather. And they attributed that to higher end consumers. So these are new consumers to this category and they're bringing with them ideas about quality and about provenance that may actually create a virtuous cycle of product development in the seafood space. Well, I think I think that point is really a key point because take take the position of Walmart, you know, they're looking over their financials and they're, you know, they're looking where they lost, where thing what what grew, what lost, and they see seafood has grown whatever percentage, you know, whatever it is uh, that it's grown. I mean, Walmart operators are smart people they're gonna say wow seafood we really you know we really did well with seafood this year i mean should we spend a little more time in that category maybe bring some more products in you know um and if they do that you know does that just reinforce this with consumers it's kind of interesting i guess my question right now is uh, the economy's improving uh, by most forecasts. It looks like it will continue to improve. And when that uh, that weight of inflation is kind of lifted, what do those more uh, affluent shoppers you mentioned who shifted to Walmart uh, because of their need to uh, cut their budgets, what happens to those people? Do they migrate back? And more importantly, have they discovered that seafood doesn't have to be super expensive and now they're going to hold their old retailer (laughs) to a new standard somehow. And if they can't meet that standard, they'll just go back to to Walmart and get what's been working for the last six months or however long they've been going there. I don't know. Well, it harkens back to to another thing that we discussed uh, in the past many times, and we saw this accelerate during COVID was whether or not the fresh seafood counter has has a lifespan that extends, let's say, beyond the next five to 10 years. Because if there is uh, an awareness that you can just pick up and grab seafood and cook it, and I think there's an increasing awareness of, of that in the U.S. Maybe there wasn't so much um, pre-pandemic. But um, if there is, uh, if, if, if there's an adoption among consumers that they can just grab and, and go, when they go to their other outlets, does it, you know, do they see that fresh seafood counter and kind of go, oh man, you know, I really want to be able to just grab something and, and go throw it in a pan. So in a way, these discounters, they train consumers about the ease of grabbing uh, seafood and using it as a protein versus that intimidating going to the the seafood counter and choosing the amount of, of you know, the number of ounces that you want to have and the type of fish and, you know, all the, all the anxiety that comes along with that because, you know, God, 
I mean, just going up to the counter for me too is always one of those. Oh God, you know how much how much do I actually need to buy? You know, so it's well, and it, yeah. it takes away that sticker shock, that optic. Like if Good I point. walk past the seafood case, I see nine ninety nine a pound, seventeen ninety nine a pound, sixteen twenty a pound. You know what I mean? And so in my mind, it's like, wow, that's expensive. Well. You don't need a pound in most cases, like you're talking about. The prepackaged stuff is, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but the price on that's five dollars because you're just getting a little portion of salmon or whatever it may be. So it, it doesn't do us a lot of good to ingraining the people these um, numbers as far as the price of seafood. Uh, when they walk by the counter um, and then they just keep walking and go to chicken and it's seven bucks and buy one, get one free, <laughs> you know? So yeah, I'm, it's, it's fascinating to watch what's happening here. You know, looking at UK stats, cause I want to highlight those as well, because maybe it's also a little bit of a look into what the future might look across other, uh, other countries. Um, and, and the U.S. in particular. So Aldi and Lidl, the two German discounters, um, you know, they busted into uh, into the U.K. years ago, but also kind of similar to, let's say, a, a grocery discount or similar to, um, you know, a Walmart a grocery store, just not seen as a place where you would go buy your dinner or not seen as a place where you would buy something like fresh seafood where, you kind of thought, well, maybe I need an expert to tell me. Maybe I need to look at the the fish itself. Um, people have a lot of opinions about whether or not they can gauge the quality of a fish by looking at the looking at the fish itself. And of course, they're probably completely wrong. So, you know, suddenly these these stores started looking kind of uh, interesting for doing your doing your whole uh, shopping. So. Similarly, uh, looking at, at the, the growth in, in discounters. So Aldi and Lidl, this is really an interesting shift here now. Aldi is now the second, as of at least in, in 2023 through November. Through November, Aldi sold more seafood at retail than Sainsbury's did. And that's not been uh that has not ever happened before so that's that's the first time 2023 is going to be the first time uh at least as far as the stats that i've tracked uh and these are from nielsen and seafish that's the first time that's ever happened so you have a discounter now being the second largest by sales um retailer of of seafood at retail um and then you you look at um, just down below now Lidl is the fourth and they've been kind of ahead of a, a lot of the others for quite a while although in 2021 they were uh, smaller than than Morrison's and um, and Morrison's is just kind of slid so these are big names in the UK and then here comes Aldi and Lidl just continuing to rise so I think this is a global trend I think with uh, inflation um, biting. And again, with consumers being, I think, way more comfortable 
trusting the maybe it's it's the stores themselves or, or brands when they pick those up feeling like okay th- this is a this is a quality that I'm going to be okay with it's not going to make me sick it's not from some um, back alley you know um, bulk uh, supplier that Aldi got a good deal on somehow I mean they're beginning to see all right these these stores actually have good quality fish and I can trust them. And again, that cycle just builds as consumers get used to that idea. They go back, you know, they go back more and more and uh, the offerings tend to improve as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you're entirely correct that we've been watching that in Europe for quite some time now. And I think it it does probably foretell the future here a little bit, Um, at least given what's happening at the moment. Again, we'll have to see what consumers do when the grip of inflation is is no longer around you know around their throats and um yeah so it's it's just interesting it it, it will be you know you just wonder if uh this is a turning uh, the turning point that seafood needs to really start to grow again you know be able to get into more baskets more shop uh, penetration in in the shopping uh environment and stuff I, I don't know but it's it's an interesting development for sure well let's bring on an expert that knows far more about retailing at seafood than john or myself Anne marie rurink is the president of 210 analytics Anne marie talk to us about the latest statistics that you just put out um look back a little bit on 2023 and maybe give us some positive news about 2024? Yeah, first of all, um, thanks so much for having me. I I always enjoy uh, having conversations like these, so uh, hopefully I do your podcast justice. Um, So looking back on 23, let me start off with saying that 23 was not a good year for any department. What we saw happening is that America just has a lot of pressure on their pocketbooks. I mean, if we look, of course, at inflation, which took the headlines all year, and that wasn't anything new in 23, of course, inflation also took the headlines in 22. So when we look across total food and beverages, consumers are paying between 30 and 35 percent more than they were pre-pandemic. That is just on grocery items. Now, if you add to it energy and gasoline, restaurant prices, um, really anything in life, people just simply have a lot of pressure on income. And that has resulted in a host of money-saving measures. So on the one hand, we see consumers really focusing on sales promotions, on meal planning, They're shopping a variety of different stores. There's a great story in that for seafood. Let's make sure we hit that as well. But more than anything, if you think about the pandemic patterns, people were already eating at home a lot, which is always a big cost savings. People were already looking for sales promotions because they were eating at home so much. So a lot of the kind of low-hanging fruit money-saving measures had already been applied. And that really left consumers with two things. One, buying only what they needed, and two, making sure as little of what they bought went to waste. And that has really resulted in massive unit and volume pressure in categories across the store. Really that focus on buying fewer units per trip, 
is killing virtually everybody. And what it's also resulted in is more trips. People are actually including more stores into their shopping. They are buying more often, but when they're in the store, they're really focused on sticking to that shopping list. And so just to say it's not just seafood, but yes, I would agree with your assessment that 23 was not a good year for us because seafood did absolutely suffer a little bit worse than a lot of the other categories. And, you know, whether we look at fresh, we look at frozen, you know, the temperature stages in the store or shelf stable um, sales were, were down across the board. And when you see powerhouse salmon not even be able to keep up with prior year levels, you know, we uh, we have some troubles on the horizon. Yeah, I think what, what baffles people so much is that during those COVID years you spoke of when we couldn't go to restaurants and we brought you know, we cooked at home and seafood. Apparently there was this belief that, oh, magically now people learned how to cook seafood. They're never going to give it up. Um, we talked to analysts in, in the retail sector who said that we had hit a new bar and it was only up, up from here. And then 20, like you say, kind of half of 2022 and all of 2023, the entire thing tips on its head. Is there any, I know we talk about the inflation and all that, but is there anything else that can contribute to that? I mean, to me, it seems if they grabbed seafood during COVID, learned how to cook, cook it and enjoy it, why did they run away so, so fast? You know, I do believe that that cooking confidence barrier is something that plays heavily in seafood. And we continue to see that among young people. Now, interestingly, consumers who do buy seafood, and especially those who buy it frequently, actually believe seafood is easy to prepare. So it's really still a matter of getting people past that cooking confidence hump, for sure. Um, but of course, there's a lot else at play. And when we think about inflation, um, that's just really the tip of the iceberg in terms of that pressure on income. Uh, what also happened is over 23, the nation as a whole hit a record in credit card debt. It's now over a trillion dollars. Then um, in March, we had, of course, the discontinuation of those EBT emergency allotments in September all of a sudden, people were repaying those student loans that had been on hold. So if you think about this, the growing pressure on income, and then a lot of people being pessimistic about their financial situation looking back and looking forward, that's really when the economy starts to put their foot on the brake. And that's when we have to be realistic about inflation, because the interesting thing about seafood is that we barely had any inflation in 23. Prices only rose uh, a tiny little bit in key categories like fin fish, but overall fresh seafood was down in price over 23. So it's not a matter necessarily of what happened in seafood. It really is a matter of what happened in the total meal and the total spending landscape. And then if you think about a consumer wandering through the store or looking at the grocery flyer, or however way they do their meal planning, it's important to keep in mind that the average price per pound for chicken is, is below $3, or the average price per pound for pork is, is a little over $3. So all of a sudden, 
you have to be realistic in that consumers have center of plate or, or ingredient proteins at a much cheaper price than the average of about nine to ten dollars for fresh seafood. Um, and of course, frozen sits a little lower than that. Uh, but, you know, there's it really depends on the consumer. There are vastly different types of consumers, fresh and frozen. But certainly that price per pound uh, was something that hurt us. And to expand on that a little bit further, I also believe in a way, we've always fed into that, especially in restaurants. If you think about ordering a meal at a restaurant, the standard protein that is always included is chicken. Now, if you want to get salmon or you get shrimp, typically that is an upcharge of five to six, seven dollars. So from the very start that people start engaging with seafood, they've always been taught that this is the more premium upscale comes at a price differential type of purchase. So as people look to balance their budget, you know, that is just something that they have in mind, uh, regardless of what those specials say. Emery, when you look at the statistics, are you seeing any price points with salmon, with shrimp, um, any species where it hits a ceiling and you see an immediate negative response from consumers? I love this question. So as an industry, of course, we talk a lot about price elasticity, and that is really what is the reaction in volume that when you increase the prices, how much volume are you going to lose? And elasticity is an interesting measure, but the one that I believe you're talking about is a price cliff. And that would be the amount that all of a sudden people look at it, their eyes become big, and they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to divert elsewhere. And in steak, for instance, there's there's a really hard and fast point, and that's 1995. If you push your ribeye past 1995, you're going to see a pullback on volume that is far, far bigger than something that you see if you just inch them up a few cents at a time. Um, the other point that you're making, which is the cumulative impact of inflation, that's really where where we're suffering right now. Year over year, yes, five, six, seven percent is a lot uh, in terms of total food and beverage inflation, but it's really that cumulative impact of all of a sudden being 30 to 35 percent higher across foods and beverages. And then if you think about the impact on an average grocery cart, which sits around ninety to one hundred dollars a week, right? All of a sudden, you go from ninety to to one hundred to one hundred thirty, one hundred forty. Um, I was meeting up with some folks over the weekend, and they said, you know, even if I go into the store for a few items, it seems I come out with forty bucks spent, and that's really where that environment as a whole has a lot more impact on seafood than other categories because of that more premium um, image that we have. Uh, Something else to keep in mind is we only start at a household penetration of about 50%, 51%. So that means that very rapidly we start to see people decline. And if you look at chicken, which sits in the 90s, they have a much broader base. So there's many things that we have to keep in mind. One other one is really habit, right? If you think about the number of times that somebody buys ground beef or somebody buys chicken breast, 
many, many times a year. That means if you skip it a week or maybe two, eventually you, you turn back to those routine meals and automatically that ground beef and chicken breast is going to land back in the basket. The problem with fresh seafood in particular, frozen as well, is we just don't buy it that often. And so once you start to leave one of those occasions out, it there's not that routine meal that people go back to. So in other words, if we lose a consumer in the seafood aisle, it is a lot harder to get them back because of the lack of routine. So there has to be a lot of investment by the seafood industry over the next couple of years to really get those consumers back in where we've lost the household penetration and really invest in that frequency play as well. How can we get people to purchase seafood more often? Because that, of course, is, is the major way in which we can grow sales at retail. And Marie, you mentioned, uh, you know, just the habits of shoppers out there as they relate to seafood. And uh, clearly, it's not a protein that, as you mentioned, we automatically throw in the basket like chicken. But during last year, um, well, let's say in general, retailers uh, do a lot of promotion of seafood to increase velocity, keep product moving. What did you see from retailers last year as far as their efforts to really push seafood? Did they, my sense is they scaled back and just kind of made it through, but is that is that truly the case? You know, I think the seafood retailing industry is really working together to do everything right. And that is an important thing to point out. We have seen high levels of promotions and on the fresh side, especially this is something that really worked. Frozen a little bit less. The, the problem with frozen at the moment is that the entire frozen food department is having a big decline in trips. And so to our point of habit, it always helps if you see something, right? If you have that salmon or the shrimp in those cross-merchandising stations, that becomes a point where all of a sudden it, land, it lands in the basket. If people are not going down those frozen food aisles, that's not something that we as seafood can very easily overcome as an individual item. So as it relates to fresh, yeah, we're seeing high levels of promotions, and that is actually where a lot of retailers have seen great success, especially if that goes hand in hand with a little bit of an education campaign, a social media campaign. I mean, some that come to mind, of course, is Fresh Time uh, that has done tremendous business in having uh, just big events around crab uh, at Father's Day and other holidays. They decided to really take advantage of the more favorable wholesale prices in some of these species and had big events uh, supported by recipes, supported by social media, and, and they blew it out of the water. Um, another example is Clark's um, uh, Supermarkets that has an, a fish Friday, but what they do rather than just discounting it is they rotate a different type of fish every Friday, uh, depending what's available in the market. And there too, they really educate the consumer. What is it going to taste like? What kind of texture? What kind of flavor? Here's a couple of recipes. 
and they've sold out every single Friday um, with some you know, less than common species. So what is about celebrating the category, but something we have to keep in mind is if you look at the size of seafood compared to the size of meat, it is simply harder to give it as much attention as that big brother in, in the meat department. And if you think about cross-merchandising stations, you typically see proteins that are that have very high household penetration so that when most shoppers walk by it, it might be items that they buy. So you see a lot of uh, hamburger meat, you see a lot of steak, a lot of chicken, simply because you start off with a very high percentage of shoppers would having with potential interest. If you put seafood in there, the household penetration is such that maybe you do all the effort and maybe it doesn't pay off. That's the thinking. However, what we've seen is, is these cross-merchandising stations, these promotions, these educational campaigns are actually a little bit of a sigh of relief among consumers because you figured out what's for dinner tonight and you just uh, created a great date night or a great movie night or something like that. Uh, so certainly the investment in promotions, merchandising uh, does pay off, but it's not always easy to do. All right. Well, Anne-Marie, as we look forward to 2024, the remainder of the year, what are we in for? Yeah, you know, I wish I had a uh, very clear crystal ball for uh, 24. It's a little bit murky, of course. Um, but no, certainly I would say we've talked a lot about the pessimism that was in the marketplace throughout all of 23, where people were just really bogged down financially. What we saw happening in December, and I have a number of surveys that go out in December and in January, and I see a noticeably more optimistic consumer. Fewer people are saying that they're down financially. Fewer people believe that they will continue to be down financially. People are seeing some relief in terms of inflation. Um, of course, the, the job market is still looking really good. So if that optimism continues, now there's always a lag between once consumers feel a little bit more confident and actually them being confident in their spending. That's typically a three, four month sort of lag. But I do see a consumer that is changing a little bit in attitude, um, more than likely in terms of seafood that might first start to witness itself in, in retail. And then from there, hopefully we're going to get some of those trips back that, that food service has lost over the last couple of years. Um, they are doing well in dollars, but they're not doing as well in trips. So it really, a lot of it comes down to that overall macro environment that is just continuing to have a big impact on consumption and shopping. And as far as the big indicators, it looks like we might be getting some relief. Anne-Marie, uh, last question for you. Um, the seafood consumer, uh, the person that is a regular consumer of seafood, the person that buys it occasionally, it, it, what do we know in current time, in the time we're in right now about who is who is buying seafood? Who is going into retail, and um, and and you know putting seafood in their cart on on a more regular basis? 
Yeah, and you know, talking about fresh seafood here for a minute, of course, for years we've been reporting on that really being a higher income consumer, boomers far over index. Um, we were seeing uh, a lot of younger consumers interact a little bit more with like sushi and, and those deli dishes that that are out there and are growing very rapidly. So in terms of the demographic profile, we're not seeing hugely big changes. But one of the most profound numbers that I came across is really when you look at the engagement among the 51% who buy fresh seafood. So out of that 51%, the top 10 percentile is responsible for 45% of dollars, according to the Circana data. The next 10% is responsible for another 18%. So all of a sudden, you're sitting there at nearly two-thirds of sales that are driven by the top 20% of people who buy seafood. And that has massive ramifications. It just means we have a very top-heavy buying pyramid and in my mind, from a retail environment, that simply means that we have to wow each and every time. Wow in our displays, in our quality, in our variety, making sure that we really make people the hero of their own meals. Because we all know what gets people to come back is a wonderful tasting meal. So having uh, good quality having recipes, but also having people in the store that can help consumers create those amazing meals. Those are all keys for success for an hopefully much better 2024. Thanks so much for your time and insights, Emery. You're uh, very welcome. I sure hope to be back. Well, that wraps up this week's edition of the Interfish podcast. Remember, you can find all our news and insight on interfish.com. You can sign up for our newsletters there. If you're a subscriber, you can get alerts on your favorite topics that go right to your mobile phone. Also on our site, you'll find a link to sign up for the Boston Leadership Breakfast. That's going to be March 11th during the Boston Seafood Show. You don't want to miss it. We've got a great lineup of speakers already, including Trident Seafood CEO Joe Bundrant, Highlander Food CEO Paul Jewer, Kim Gorton, she's the president and CEO of Slate Gorton, global head of seafood at DNB on a Vistendal, and we'll have other speakers announced in the coming weeks. Thanks everyone for joining us. We'll look forward to talking to you next week.